Will you slash them on a train? Will you slash them in the rain? Radio Drome. <sighs> it's Thursday nights, and if I have to do one more of these shows with Alex Jowski or Cecil Trachtenberg, I am going to go on a kill-crazy rampage, find oversexed teens, and stick random objects through parts of their bodies that are not orifices. I'm Josh Hadley. With me, as always, in a happy, happy way, is Cecil T. Uh, I'm going to go find some of those oversexed teens. Penny waste. Jowski? I would like to find some oversexed teens. Probably not the same ones you guys are looking for, but... Do the Adam and Eve promo, then. Go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, you get 50% off a single item, three free DVDs, free shipping in the United States, and a free mystery gift. adamandeve.com, DROME. You almost did that flawlessly. Almost. Tonight, I want to talk about the evolution of the slasher film. Not like, you know, Brad and I did an episode couple of years ago at this point on the rise and fall of the slasher film this is not the same thing i want to look at kind of what happened and how the slasher film went from what it was to what it is because i don't think those two things really resemble one another very much anymore do you see the slasher film as having evolved devolved or grown stagnant from let's just arbitrarily right now say 1978 to today it depends mostly it's it's evolved. You know, de-evolution de is still evolution of some sort. I mean, there's been a lot of bad slashers, but I'd say it evolved. Yeah, I'd say it's it's evolved, uh, you know, or just changed in general. Uh, it, it, it started off in one way, and it, it, like Alex said, there were a lot of bad ones. And then the, the 90s got into the meta slashers, and then that kind of became the standard norm and then there were so many bad ones of them and then they sort of evolved again unfortunately into like an unending wave of remakes of old slasher films so basically they were just rehashing a lot of their old stuff so it's it's slashers are in kind of a weird place right now and see the way i look at it i do consider it a de-evolution because you went from something relatively serious most slasher films were serious in the 80s and obviously there were exceptions, so that's why I said most. And then by the time the late 90s rolled around, they were all humor and making fun. And then I think you even you can't even take them seriously, even if they're meant to, when they're PG-13 nowadays. Kind of like the way the Godzilla franchise in the original pre-1985 era kept getting more and more kid-friendly and almost self-aware. I think that's the same thing that happened to the slasher film, and that's not a good thing. Let's go back to what do you consider the, the beginning of the slasher film era? Now, on paper, most people consider it 1978's release of Halloween. But to me, that, that disregards Black Christmas, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Black Sabbath, Peeping Tom, Psycho. Why do you think Halloween is the benchmark where we go, this is a slasher film and not those other things? Probably because Halloween was such a success. Not that the other ones weren't a success. Texas but Chainsaw Massacre was a pretty big success. So was Tex Psycho. Well, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was a was a big success. But I mean, it it had a lot of controversy and it had a lot of troubles, and it wasn't. Uh, it, it was a different kind of success. I mean, it still was successful and it's going on. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. Halloween, I think it just kind of hit at the right time. And it's that default movie that people just go back to. Uh, there's a lot of people I know that think that Halloween is actually older than like Texas Chainsaw. And but, then a lot but, of times. But in a weird way, doesn't that then disregard or at least look down on Peeping Tom, Black Sabbath, Black Christmas and Texas Chainsaw and Psycho? That, oh, those weren't real slasher films. Halloween, th the way I read one article on, like, Dread Central was Halloween was the first real slasher film. 
Well, slasher films a lot of times are unfortunately looked down upon anyway. So uh, it, it's it just makes sense that uh, they would have a lot of the forefathers just be looked down upon, just as the whole f- ser- you know the whole uh, concept is just looked down upon in general. All the others, although they technically qualify as slashers, they were still unique horror films that didn't have anything in common with each other. Halloween was the first one that had a formula people could copy. I mean, there's nothing in Psycho that you could copy to make a Psycho knockoff that would be successful. Halloween had the blueprints all right there, and that's exactly was needed to create a fad. Doesn't that kind of oversimplify Halloween, then? It's a pretty simple movie, Josh. Let's step back a second. Let's define what is a slasher movie. Because when I was going through some lists looking for when I was researching tonight's topic, I saw a lot of people that seem to be confusing slasher films or what one what one list will consider a slasher film. Another will go, no, this isn't a slasher film because what is your definition of a slasher film? What is it and what is it not? It's a movie that fits the formula that was set forth by Halloween, where you have a killer, you know, usually a masked killer, or you're not going to see him until the end anyway, murdering a variety of characters in different ways, and you find you end up with your final girl at the end, usually a girl, rarely is it a final guy. You know, they'd make the revelation of who the killer is, and... They've defeat him. And now there are plenty of cinematic cliches along the way, but those vary from film to film. The, the general formula is the same. And you get them in usually in some isolated area or some place where they congregate and they're picked off one by one as each one wanders away for some reason. A slasher film is usually uh, one or multiple killers. Most often it is one person. There have been ones over the years where uh, it's been two. This person, for whatever reason, uh, they had some kind of trauma, they are just mentally messed up in the head, goes on a spree where they will kill a variety of people, uh, usually teens, but not always, often will be wearing a mask, sometimes not. You just won't see their face until the end. And then a lot of times if they are wearing a mask, they'll have a big reveal where they take the mask off or they'll have the red herring where they're going to take the mask off, but then they don't. And then the killer ends up not being dead uh, at the end anyway. There are little cliches that kind of have gone along with it over the years. Like Alex said, the final girl, copious amounts of nudity in the uh, early slashers. And let me think as far as what a slasher is not, Well, because the reason I bring up the is not is I saw one list and I kind of agree with them in a way that went out of their way to to try and justify how The Howling in 1980 is a slasher film. And I'm like, well, it's a werewolf film, but the main werewolf villain was a serial killer that killed women with a knife. I guess technically that would make it a slasher film then. But then you get that 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 weird definition like I can't count how many cop films. Clint Eastwood has made movies where a guy with a knife is going around slashing people up and he as the cop is trying to catch them. Is that not a slasher film? Why is Friday the 13th a slasher film? Dirty Harry isn't because Scorpio uses a gun? I think because it's the focus uh, ends up being on the killer, which is what helps to make it the slasher film. Whereas a lot of times with the cop movies, they focus a lot more on the cop chasing the person. Whereas in the serial killer or in the the slasher movie, you do have the cop storyline. But a lot of times that takes a backseat to, you know, whoever's getting killed now and whoever is taking their top off now. So are you saying that it comes down to whether it's a mystery or not? Whether whether you as the audience member are trying to figure out who the killer is along with the characters? I, I think it just kind of it depends on the focus of the film. I, I'm I'm with you though. I mean on the howling, it is kind of it it, it does it has kind of slasher fall into tendencies. A gray, yeah, it does kind of fall into a gray area. But I mean there you could you could almost, though, make an argument for a lot of different things. You know, well, well, this has this element in it, so therefore it really should be considered a slasher. Uh, you know, you could argue with just about uh, any type of movie to make it fit into a certain genre. Well, I mean, l- let's take a look at real quick the 1970s Kolchak. Well, just it was called The Night Stalker at the time. But The Night Stalker first TV movie. Yes, it's a vampire doing all this stuff. 
but he's running around Las Vegas slashing women's throats and draining them of all their blood, and the cops are trying to catch him as well as our intrepid reporter. Does the fact that the character is a vampire make him not a slasher then? That would be a vampire movie. With slasher movies, they're usually... Well, I don't want to say usually You human. can't take Supernatural out because a lot of them... Yeah. I mean, hell, Nightmare on Elm Street is more Supernatural than Slasher, yet that's kind of a prototypical Slasher, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, hell, Friday the 13th. After the sixth one, he's, he's a straight-out zombie. I think another thing that matters for Slashers is the reason people are being slaughtered. There's a vendetta, usually, and a vampire doesn't have a vendetta. They kill for sustenance. I think Alex had a good point. It's uh, most slashers. There is a reason vendetta for their uh, for the the way that they're doing what they're doing. Vampire is just kind of killing for the sake of sustenance to live. So that falls into it's not supernatural because like you said with friday the 13th nightmare on elm street they, they've all have a supernatural element to them so it, it could fall under the thing of slasher but most people would just say uh you know cop crime drama thriller with supernatural elements i'm older than you guys and you guys are older than ironically enough a good large portion of our audience it wasn't around for the first slasher boom, which really was 1978 through about 89 is when they really died out. Why do you think 1978 you had Halloween, 1979 you had a couple, 1980 is really what broke it wide open with Friday the 13th. There were four slasher films released in 1980. There were 37 released in 1981. That's a shocking increase. Why do you think it hit right at that right moment? between 80 and 81. I think you had a couple that were successful and it turned it into the fad it needed to be. Hollywood loves trends. So when they see that something is trending, they will just go full out on it. We have disaster movies. One comes out, it's a monster hit, and then a bajillion disaster movies come out. We have one underwater movie that's a hit. We get a bajillion underwater movies. So this was a case of double whammy. You had a slasher movie that didn't cost that much to make and was an overwhelming success. So it was, hey, we can take that idea. We can do uh, you know, the, the killer prototype concept do it for not a lot of money, get it in theaters, and make a butt-ton of money. And so, consequently, every studio jumped in on it. But 4 to 37? That's a, yeah. that's a shocking number. Because they didn't cost that much to make, so everybody kind of jumped in on it. You had every studio that was like, okay, what do you need? A million dollars? Okay, fine. Here oh, you no. go. These things weren't even close to that. You could most of these slasher films from the early 80s, even the studio produced ones were only 300,000 or so. There you could basically take $100,000, make a make a quick slasher movie up in Canada where you get the tax breaks. That's where a lot of these were shot. On opening weekend, you would make $500,000. In 1980, 81 and 82, making a slasher movie was the same as printing money. You could not fail with this. What does that say about the movie-going populace of the truly early 80s? They just flock to these, and I'm being a little facetious here because I'm kind of boiling it down, but because they're all at the core, as Alex pointed out at the beginning, they're following the formula. So they're all the same movie at its core again and again and again and again and again. So why do you think they were so unbreakable at the box office then? Okay, for the same reason people will continue to eat at McDonald's. I mean, it's not like every time you go to McDonald's, it's going to be the same food on that menu every time. And people will like, I'll order a Big Mac every time I go there because it tastes good. It's the same every time. And that's why people kept going to the slasher movies until they eventually burned out on them because they wanted the same thing every time. Tits and blood. <laughs> it was every single one. I want one. to see a movie just called Tits and Blood. I give give me give me three hundred thousand dollars. I'll make it. They knew that that's what they were gonna get. You're gonna get a bunch of twenty somethings playing teenagers that are gonna take their clothes sometimes off. Sometimes unconvincingly. Sometimes very unconvincingly. Jason uh, Alexander. <laughs> oh yeah. Already bald and having stretch marks, and yeah. yet his character can't drive yet. Yeah, because mm -hmm. I totally buy him as a fifteen year old in or um, in the burning. Right, right. 
or uh, in in cheerleader camp, you had uh, Leaf Garrett who had widow's peaks. I think he was 32. Didn't actually. he have crow's feet already? And he's yeah, yeah. playing. And he's like, <laughs> I'm 16. That, but that was the thing. You had, uh, tw- you know, you had 20 somethings, sometimes 30 somethings, 16 through 19 year olds that were most times going to take their top off, occasionally take their bottoms off, which made everybody, well, especially the men, very excited. And then they were going to get a pair of hedge clippers shoved into their head, or they were going to get strangled to death, or some horrific thing was going to happen to them. So and... Some blunt object was going to enter their flesh in an orifice that was not meant to be entered. Exactly. So, and it was it was entertaining. It was always creative, and it was fun, and it got that excitement out of people. And a lot of times, you know, you take a you take a girlfriend to go see this. They're gonna see, uh, you know, a little bit of titillation, a little bit of violence. They're gonna get excited, and maybe you go home and get laid. Well, in 1981, when we started the glut. I found this one webpage that had a pretty good list of all the slasher films. Now keep in mind, this is part of the reason the slasher films died. I'm going to read this list real quick, okay? And this is not a complete list. This is just the ones he thought were notable, and I agree with this. All of these came out within 12 months. Absurd, The Black Cat, Bloody Birthday, Bloody Moon, The Burning, Dark Night of the Scarecrow, Day of Judgment, Deadly Blessing, The Demon, Don't Go in the Woods Alone, Evil Speak, Eyes of a Stranger, The Fan, Final Exam, Friday the 13th Part 2, The Fun House, Graduation Day, Halloween 2, Happy Birthday to Me, Hell Night, Home Sweet Home, The House Where Death Lives, Just Before Dawn, Madhouse, Murder Syndrome, My Bloody Valentine, Night School, Nightmare, The Prowler, Road Games, Scream, Strange Behavior, and Student Bodies. Student Bodies, I kind of want to kick out of that because that's a spoof. So that one, I'll kick off the list. But otherwise, all of those came out within 12 months. Sometimes these, every other week, there was a new slasher film at the theater. How How did anyone not expect this market to collapse in upon itself? Not all of the ones you listed were slashers, though. But yeah... I mean, well, yes, that's what I, that's why I talked earlier. What is it? It's not like evil speak. Eh, yes, no, kind of, you know, the fan, definitely not. He murders like one person. So that that's what I'm that's saying. Insane. Just, just listing all of these. We'll, we'll leave the qualifications over whether, cause I, like evil speak. I don't really consider a slasher film. That is a supernatural killer film. It's not the same thing. Just with all those every other week. How did you not expect the audience to burn out? I don't. I think they expected that they would eventually burn out, and they were just trying to get as much in as they could before the audience did burn out. I have a good parallel for you. When the Wii first came out, it was a massive hit, and consequently, there were a bajillion shovelware titles that came out, titles that had not a lot of effort put into them, and they were uh, put out there with the expectance that they were going to make a massive amount of profits. Initially, they did. But what happened was the audience quickly got burned out because they were just inundated with so much garbage. And that was kind of the thing with slasher films, was that they were throwing everything and anything out there cheaply and quickly with the anticipation that they were going to make money. And in the beginning, a lot of them did because that's what people wanted. But then there were so many of them that they did get burned out. That said, part of this glut, which I did think was arguably creative, that you'd find any you'd find any way to make a slasher film got a holiday there's a slasher film for that any location you can think of we can kill teenagers in that do you think that actually helped the genre and maybe saved it from becoming stale sooner the fact that they did keep changing it up somewhat even if it was following the same basic as jowski pointed out formula or do you think that just showed just how fast the ideas were running out Well, they wanted the next Halloween. They wanted to tie it to a holiday. So they had, you know, Valentine's Day. All right, well, we'll have my bloody Valentine. We've got Christmas. So, well, they already already had Christmas with Black Christmas. You already had Black Christmas, but you had, uh, and you had um, Silent Night, Bloody Night. But uh, they had Silent Night, Deadly Night and its various uh, sequels. And so they were going off of, I mean, Christmas being the most, popular holiday was of course going to be the one that was going to get the most movies uh that centered around it but uh really 
there was Thanksgiving was home sweet home, but they didn't focus on the Thanksgiving angle very much. Yeah, that just happened to take place at Thanksgiving, really. It was just a way of them taking the holiday and giving them a way to uh, orchestrate a slasher film around it. And honestly, I like most of them because a lot of them are fun. They're they're cool and they get a little bit goofy with the uh, the whole concept of, uh, you know, wrapping them around a holiday. They have fun with attaching the reason for why this person is killing people to the holiday. Well, but then you've also got the location thing. Uh, we can let's kill kids in a in a gym. Let's kill kids in a school. Let's kill kids in a dormitory. Let's kill kids at a summer camp. Let's kill kids at a youth center. Let's kill kids at a spa. You know, a it, death spa. I I was going to that, but that was technically supernatural. Uh, that was not so. That was more of a ghost movie, isn't it, Cecil? Really than a slasher. Yeah, Death Spa is totally uh, a good mixture of uh, like spiritual possession and uh, just just bizarre. But I I like it all the same. But yeah, it is. I don't know. It, it's one of those ones that does kind of skirt the line. And hey, it's not the first slasher to have the supernatural element. So. But, but what I mean is that you also had the location slasher. Well, let's kill people on a train. Let's slash people on a plane. Let's slash people out on the highway. Let's slash people here. Let's slash people there. To me, it, it's kind of sound like, okay, them over there, they're releasing their movie in two weeks, and it's got slashers doing this, so we can't do that, so let's do this. It just seemed like everyone was aping each other and just trying to be different enough to not plagiarize. It, it seemed like they were running out of creativity faster than it seemed to. Will you slash them on a train? Will you slash them in the rain? The slashers got more and more generic. And then they, they kind of died out as the 80s went along. I think the last true slasher movie was 1989's Hell High, which, as Joe Bob Briggs puts it, movie didn't know why it was made because... Nobody was making slasher movies in 1989, and then the director was shocked, just shocked, when the movie bombed. You know, yeah, by, by, by 1989, the, the, the fad was over. I wouldn't say that was the last one. That was the last one. That, that was the last true slasher of the original era, is what I meant. Like, I, I there, there were some slasher movies that came out in the early 90s, in the pre-Scream era, that were definite slashers. Like, Dr. Giggles is one I love. And it's definitely a slasher that came out, you know, a decade too late. I would call the the sequels to Candyman slasher films. Not the original, though. The original is a very effective supernatural horror film. The sequels are slashers, though. This is pre-Scream we're talking about here, when the slasher film arguably came back. You you had where, because of all the, the negatives that we talked about already, slasher films became a dirty thing. They were still being made... But they weren't called that. Like Greg Nicotero points out on the Going to Pieces documentary, you've got a movie about a cannibalistic serial killer that is helping the FBI catch another serial killer who is skinning and cap capturing and skinning fat women so he can make a woman suit out of himself. He goes, it's a goddamn slasher film. But no, Jonathan Demme will outright tell you, no, it is a psychological thriller that's in the early 90s slasher became a dirty word in Hollywood. He initially tried to pitch the idea to a different studio as a slasher film, and they immediately shut him down. Why do you think we had to go from slasher to psychological thriller when, in essence, if done right, they're the same thing? Why did the word slasher become a dirty word in Hollywood pre-Scream? Well, it's like anything. Eventually, the morality caught up with them. There were enough people that were complaining about it that uh, they decided that, oh, well, all of a sudden, you know, this is a dirty word. We're not going to do this anymore, even though we've been doing this for all this time. So they just kind of took it and they're like, well, if we change the name of it, if we call it a psychological thriller or we call it a, you know, a mystery with horror elements or something, then that takes away from the dirty connotation that Slasher has. Because isn't, when that you... adding, isn't that adding an unnecessary unnecessary pretension to it? Because let's face it, Silence of the Lambs is a slasher film. Manhunter is a slasher film. Why do those get to be psychological thrillers instead of slasher films? Probably because of the budget and the people involved. From the studio's perspective, when you say the word slasher, you think cheaply done, 
movie that uh, is aimed at the lowest common denominator. Whereas when you make a movie like Silence of the Lambs, it's done with Sir Anthony Hopkins and it goes on to win Oscars. You know, slasher films aren't supposed to win Oscars. Um, I think more than just the, the budget, there's the tone of it. Slasher films were exploitation films, essentially. They were exploiting the trend. And that's why they had all of the cliches, because they were just, they were satisfying an immediate need. Films like Science of the Lambs, they were not exploitation films. They were setting out to make something original. And they didn't fall into the, any of the cliches. They weren't trying to exploit a trend. And I think that's a huge difference between movies based on Thomas Harris novels and slashers. And I, I can see your point. So I'm not dis, I'm not dismissing your point. I don't agree with it, but I see where you're coming from with that. I think that's that's adding kind of a hoity-toity air of, well, you know, slashers are below us, even though we're essentially doing the same thing. I don't think tone matters, because look at something like The Prowler. That's 1981's The Prowler. You know, films like The Prowler are done in an almost brutal tone, brutally serious tone, the same as Silence of the Lambs. It kept you guessing, you know, so I, I, I think that's a, it's a pretentious distinction, really. But the word slashers immediately, you know, brings to mind the exploitation films. And I can understand studios definitely distancing themselves from that image. Harlan Ellison wrote a famous article in 1982 or 3, I think, where he called them knife kill movies. And he just dismissed them as pointless nothingness, just knife kill movies. And I like to think at least the good ones were more creative than that. But then when you had the the Scream Scream specifically, but the all of Scream's bastard children as well come out. Why did the slasher film become a joke? Because even though they were exploitative, I'm not disagreeing with you on that, Alex, at all. But the original run of them were very exploitative, but they were all done relatively seriously and relatively earnestly. But then you had the college kids who were loving Scream that seemed to think these were goofy kitsch movies the same way we would look like that we would look at an Ed Wood film. Why do you think they lost the image of earnestness and seriousness that they had when we were growing up? Why do you think Scream so successfully in one swoop destroyed everything it was pretending to hold dear? Just for the record, there was a movie that came out in 1991 called There's Nothing Out There. It was a sci-fi horror film that is arguably the first real meta slasher film. Not counting student bodies in 81, which is a straight-up spoof, but by, by spoof... Exactly. Spoof by definition is meta. Right. This called out a lot of the slasher trends. You know, well, if we go out there uh, alone, we're going to get killed. All right, well, let's go out there alone. You know, and they and they broke the fourth wall. But uh, there, there was a point where um, the... The, the lead guy escapes from the monster by grabbing onto the boom mic that's hanging down into frame. Like, stuff like that. It was very funny. And if you if you find it, totally watch it. I, I love the hell out of it. That did a lot of stuff in a very funny and good way. And then, but unfortunately, it was a lower budget film and it never caught on the notoriety. Then Scream came along, did its own thing, but did do Morally. some similar... Not saying that they stole from this, but... It was they did a lot of stuff that um, this movie did years earlier. And I see, like well, and see, I like Scream a lot. I can't stand it. But here was one of my problems with Scream. And again, I'm, I am not just like you. I'm not saying they stole it. I'm not screaming plagiarism. Go and watch Student Bodies from '81, and then Scream, and you'll see that they're almost the same movie with just the jokes from Student Bodies being serious things in Scream. That Scream is almost a serious version of Student Bodies, which was a spoof of slasher films. I don't really consider that this groundbreaking because that's the thing I heard about Scream is that it completely reinvented and redefined the genre. All I can say is, if you think that, then you don't know the genre. Well, Scream was like how there was that one year, uh, there was that one guy in the, in the 90s that started calling out other magicians and showing how they did their tricks. And Secrets I, of the Magician's Code, hosted but, by Mitch Pileggi, I remember those. Yeah, 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 they ran them on, on Fox. Fox. 
And and every you know every couple months they'd have a new one, and they would be like, okay, well here's how you saw a woman in half. Here's how you do this. And they would show them, and the guy revealed that he was like, the reason why I'm doing this is to show how all these things are done to force the evolution of magic so they've gotten lazy and they just keep doing the same thing over and over again and i kind of think that that was what the intention of scream was it was look i i don't know he, if, i don't know if i describe such high-mindedness to kevin williamson a hack of the highest order i don't oh I'm, no he's west, west, west craven maybe kevin williamson no i don't think he had high-minded ideals because from interviews i've seen from him at the era he really does seem to come off like, oh my god, I am so clever, kind of attitude about this film. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that uh, I, I think that it was a combination between the two that uh, they they got to talking and then, hey, well, let's, uh, slasher films have gotten so far up their own ass, let's kind of take uh, a lot of these things, goof on them ferociously, and kind of force the, the evolution of, of slasher films to make them try to do stuff differently. And they did. Unfortunately, what they did was copy Scream. Well, I don't think, you know, it would have been the high-minded, I need to change the genre, because the slasher genre was gone by then. So there was no more genre to breathe new life into. It just happened that this movie was making fun of slashers, and what I took from Scream was it saying, hey, those movies you loved are stupid. The things you like are stupid. See, yeah, I I got to agree with that. That's the kind of attitude that Williamson had, and I'm just talking. I'm I'm not talking about just what's on screen, but like in interviews, he kind of had this "I'm smarter than you, so I'm showing you why you suck" kind of attitude towards it. That's why I cannot, Cecil, ascribe the high-minded ideals you seem to be wanting to give him for Scream. I can't. I really do think you're wrong on that one, straight out. You obviously don't understand that this was the guy that created Dawson's Creek. So clearly, we're working on another level here. Yes, it's my fault for not doing it, right? <laughs> yes, this is this is Alex and me being the dunces in the corner, right? Right. Clear. No, I actually, I like Kevin Williamson. I, I don't think he is a genius. Uh, I don't really know. I've never seen much of him being interviewed, so I don't know about his pretentiousness. I just know that a lot of the stuff that he has done, I've enjoyed. And it's usually been, I don't want to say a step above, but there has been an element of intelligence to it. Now, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, no, I'm, no, I am totally stepping on you right here. You're right, trying fine. to tell me teaching Miss Tingle had an element of intelligence to it. Teaching Mrs. Yeah, Tingle. Had, I, I dare you to defend that as an intelligent film. I didn't say Helen Mirren, and Helen Mirren is an intelligent woman, and you could tell that she felt this was below her the whole time, and she's like, "I need this money," but because she's a smart woman, she wouldn't have done that movie if she was at the, the apogee of her career. Defend teaching Miss Tingle, Cecil, as smart. I didn't. I didn't say that everything that he did. I said that there was an intelligence with uh, with a few of the things that he worked on. Teaching Mrs. Tingle, I think that the concept there was good. But right out of the gate, the studio completely panicked. I don't remember what the. I think it was was it Columbine where the because originally it was killing Mrs. Tingle, and then uh, I think Columbine happened. I believe it came out a couple months before Columbine because I was in New York at the time and I remember watching it at a specific theater in New York. And I remember Columbine happening like when I was in the hospital before I left New York. That's how I timed that. Okay, well, there was some some tragedy that happened that forced them to change the name because, like I said, it was originally Killing Mrs. Tingle. Hey, and Cecil, had, the Pope yeah. must die it. The Pope must die. Exactly. You know, we, we can't can't say something like that so they had to change it to die it Ugh. so and there was a, a little bit more horror aspects in there so i think that teaching mrs tingle we won't see what the original version was and i actually thought it was okay i'm not saying that it's a great movie i'm not saying it's an intelligent movie conceptually i thought it was cool and i thought that the f execution lacked a bit but uh, his other stuff, you know, his his work on Scream and I'm totally throwing myself under the bus. I liked Dawson's Creek. No. And he wrote The Faculty. The Faculty is phenomenal. I All right. You, you are not. You, you are I, no, off I, the show. No, I think the, faculty the Faculty is fucking horrid. 
Oh, the, the faculty, faculty awesome. The faculty is something that was saved by Robert Rodriguez's masterful direction. Read the screenplay for the faculty and don't see it. It sucks. But then after Scream, you got the glut of their illegitimate bastard children as well. Just the same kind of glut we had in the early 80s where you had all of these new teen slashers, most, not all, but most of them being the self-aware meta, oh, don't do that, that's like what would happen in a slasher movie kind of nonsense. And those all, ironically enough, the second glut of the late 90s didn't last as long as the first glut of the early 80s. Why do you think that is? Do you think that audience trends had changed? Or that just, and yes, I'm an old man here, that the quality of these 90s slasher knockoffs were not as good as the 80s slasher knockoffs. I'm going to go with the quality because the 80s slasher movies, I watched some of those and had, had a great time being actually legitimately scared at times. Everything that came out after Scream, I went there ready to laugh at the movie. Like, I know what you did last summer is hilarious. Urban Legend, which makes no sense at all. Oh, Urban Legend. They threw too much money into these movies, too. Urban Legend was like, many millions went into Urban Legend. Well, and they, I, I think, I actually think that is part of the difference here. During the glut of the early 80s, these were 100000 to $500,000 films. Even adjusted for inflation, you've got all the I don't knows and all that that are 10, $12 million films. That I think the ones in the 90s came across, intentionally or not, as too slick and too polished because even in the 80s when paramount i mean i know they didn't produce friday the 13th but like they they produced the sequels and they produced like my bloody valentine and that they were relatively hands off they didn't they were they weren't giving you notes back then you listen to the commentaries for the way the directors from the slashers from the early 80s they had relative freedom if they didn't go over budget look at the ones from the 90s it was all studio notes and calculated to get the, the highest teen audience that they could. I think, Alex, you're absolutely right, is they feel totally different. They really were overproduced. I mean, a lot of the slashers from the 80s, you could tell some of them were made because people had a fun idea for a slasher. It is all numbers with the ones in the post-Scream era. Yeah, because... Part of part of the beauty of like the early slashers was just how they did have a low budget, but they were kind of raw. They felt too. Yeah, there was an earnestness to them, and uh, they used whatever dirt and grime, and a lot of the actors were their own stunt people. So it, it just it, yeah, it had more of a real feel to it. Whereas with a lot of the late '90s slashers, uh, I do enjoy some of them. Most of them, they were expensive. They had all the top popular. They were teen. focus group. They were focus group. They had all the top popular t uh, flavor of teens at the time, and uh, it just it, it felt too clean. It felt too like okay, uh, well, this is uh, going to follow this numbers, but we have to keep it, you know, in line with the scream formula that they had now set up, and it it. it occasionally worked but they just didn't have that raw feeling of the old slap of the old slashers and that said that this is also when you started to and there are a few examples i'll give from the early 80s from the first slasher boom where the rating started to become an issue this is where the pg-13 slasher film emerged from now to be fair a lot of people might not remember that the original Prom Night in 19, what was it, 80 or 81? I don't remember which year that came out. But the original Prom Night with Jamie Lee Curtis originally was PG. The studio, Avco Embassy, said, we can't release a PG slasher film. What the hell happened? And so they gave them more money to go add enough scenes to make it R. Isn't that almost the exact opposite of the way a PG-13 slasher film is looked at today? Oh, God, yeah. It's depressing now because there's so many movies that uh, they'll do one of two things. They'll either buy a script that is absolutely an R-rated film and they'll neuter it down and make them shoot a PG-13 movie. Or they'll do the ever popular, we'll film it as an R-rated film and then edit it down to PG-13 for theatrical distribution 
And then when the movie comes out on DVD, if it was a hit in theaters, we'll release the unrated cut so that everyone will go and buy it again. And unfortunately, a lot of movies have been ruined by that because they'll do the PG-13 cut. The film will bomb in theaters. And then when they release it on DVD, they don't feel like putting the extra money into releasing the unrated cut. So they'll just put the PG-13 version out there. So we never actually get to see the real movie. I think another big difference is it was easier for kids to sneak into an R movie back in the 80s. I mean, I was reading Roger Ebert reviewing slasher movies, and he's talking about all the kids in the audience, and he's like, this is what bothers me is that there's these 10-year-olds here not accompanied by Guardians seeing this movie that, you know, and there were several times my friends and I would just, you know, get into an R movie and they wouldn't even card us. And I think parents and theaters cracking down on that is what led to the PG-13 thing as well is because, well, we need to make it profitable for kids since they were the ones paying our, our bankroll this whole time. But do you think then, what does that say then about prom night back in the first boom? That do you think it would have bombed? Say it was essentially the same movie. Obviously, they added some gore. Essentially the same movie being rated PG. They were just afraid that PG rating is going to make us seem like a kid's film and we're not going to get serious adults. To me, almost adding the gore in to get an R rating is pandering almost to a degree, isn't it? So I'm to me, oh. I'm not just I'm not giving that that kind of practice a pass any more than I am the PG 13ing. Well, they were exploitation films, Josh, and exploitation is all about pandering to a demographic. I could see the where they were coming from, and uh, it, I mean, it was a, a logical move at their at the time. Uh, I think it's kind of funny how it's completely flipped in the other direction of how they'll just completely neuter stuff. I, I don't know. I'm actually, it's kind of funny. Uh, I think I would rather them go in that direction. Uh, add more gore now as long as it didn't detract from the film like they didn't put gore in there that fell out of place in all honesty i think obviously we've never seen what the pg cut would have been unless you want to count the tv version technically i actually think that kind of undercuts the relative subtlety if that's not an oxymoron of what the director intended though it doesn't it yeah but if uh, a little a funny little side note Toby Hooper, when he made the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, actually had mind that the movie was going to get a PG rating and was shocked. It really should have because there's not really any gore in it. Not really. That's the thing. People like, oh, my God, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Seriously, Leatherface dropping the chainsaw on his own leg is probably the actual goriest. I mean, yeah, hanging on meat hooks and stuff, but you don't see that happen really. Yeah, the kills mostly happen off screen. It's just that it's done so well that your mind kind of fills in the blanks. But also the almost oppressive atmosphere of Texas Chainsaw makes you think you're seeing more than you are. The the crappy Marcus Nispel uh, remake it, with all the gore and everything in there is what a lot of people think is in the original, but it totally wasn't. It was a lot more uh, psychological stuff which is what made it so much more scary. But, but it should I, have been PG, really. But then I guess my, my, my question, okay, let's take Prom Night and Prom Night. Now, the original Prom Night had to add gore to get people into the theater, and then the Prom Night remake was pg 13 because they didn't want people to see gore. Do you think that says how much of a shift the audience has gotten or just the studios? Because Avco Embassy was a relatively small studio at the time when they made Prom Night. I don't remember what company made the remake, but it was a big nationwide release. Do you think that it's it just comes down to we're pitching to different audiences? Or do you think, let's say the Prom Night remake was the exact same film acting-wise, story-wise, directing-wise, etc., but it had enough gore to be R. Do you think that would have made it a better film? Or do you think it was just something like that is doomed from the get-go? You know, it really depends on the film. If they can add stuff flawlessly to where you never know it wasn't there in the first place, but then there's other films where you could tell they added stuff after the fact that they totally 47 Ronin did The The remake of Prom Night is hilarious. Uh, it's such an unintentional comedy. And uh, them adding back in gore 
probably wouldn't have done anything because the the story and everything was just so poorly done and the villain was just laughably bad. It was a terrible movie. So that's a case of where I don't think they really could have done anything that would have made it a better picture. Well, and then we also, let's talk about, to end the night out, let's talk about the differences aesthetically between the modern slashers and the 80s boom. Why do you think that the 80s pictures actually spoke to a teen audience more than the 90s and early 2000s pictures did? I remember, and maybe this is just because I am older, I remember the slasher films of the first boom really actually speaking to an audience and really getting a lot of people into the films. I don't even, I don't remember anyone taking the Scream knockoffs seriously. Does that say more about how audiences have changed or, again, to just the quality of the films themselves? Or did the audience evolve with the films or did the films evolve past their audience? I think it was the way that that the, um, the films treated the audience. The older slashers, they didn't treat the audience like idiots. They made the film, they made it fairly basic, and they made them entertaining. Whereas the later slasher films, they either tried to be too smart for the room or they pandered too much to the audience and they just didn't have that feel to them. Like there's a reason why people are still wearing Friday the 13th shirts and and buying Friday the 13th merchandise and they're not buying urban legend, you know, items and whatnot. Because I mean, even though there's been three urban legend movies, it's just it doesn't have that same feeling it didn't it didn't hit the audience the same way so it's just it's just a different way of them dealing with getting to the audience i think it has to do with cynicism from the studio's point of view as well by the studios producing the early slashers but generally giving the directors and the filmmakers their own free reign people wanted to make movies that somebody would enjoy they wanted to entertain people versus now where the studios don't give people that free reign are making a movie that they don't give a shit if you like it or not they just care that you've paid for it so they're making a trailer for a slasher film is what they're doing nowadays the audience i don't want to say has become more sophisticated because they haven't because that would be a straight out lie but i think the audience i gotta go with alex the audience is more cynical though not necessarily the studios i'm not i mean i think you're right but i think you're ignoring the fact that the audience is more cynical now too. Whereas when these first happened in 1980, they were relatively new. This was a new trend in film. By the time Scream and its crotch droppings came out, the audience had seen all the old slashers and this new wave wasn't new. It was just new to them. I think the audience could tell that these were shameless imitations or in some cases straight out parodies whether they'll admit it or not, of the earlier films. I think the audience was able to pick up on that, or maybe I'm giving the audience way too much credit if they're you know, a Kevin Williamson fan, then they're clearly not all that intelligent. Oh, hush. Alex, if you're going to get killed in a slasher film, where could people find you to be slashed? At the Gay Bed and Breakfast of Terror. I'm sorry, at geekjuicemedia.com. What uh, strange holiday will you be slashed on? Let's see. I'm thinking Arbor Day would probably be a good uh, a good one I'd be slashed on. And uh, you can find me watching The Faculty over at goodbadflicks.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com. And if anyone wants to come and kill me, I'm sure I've got a whole lineup of mass slashers waiting to kill me. You can go to geekjuicemedia.com as well as 1201beyond.com. And if you want to send me the eerie premonition of my death, you can do that at 1201beyond at gmail.com. I'm not even going to say have a good night. Just screw off, guys.
Radio Drome is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.